Hi, welcome to That Reminds Me Of, a podcast about film and the films that remind us of that film. You're here with Baron and the Doc. And the maestro. Do we need another drink? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. Baron, how are you? Good, Doc. How are you? I'm, I'm lovely. This feels a bit odd. We're sitting next to each other On today. the same side of the table. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. It's very odd. Yeah. But what, there's a reason. What's the reason? We have a special guest on today. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Emma Westwood, she is on Zoom in this laptop that you can probably see right in front of us in the camera there. Emma, how are you? <laughs> I'm really good. Are people going to be able to see this? Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. All right. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. We didn't tell oh, you about the cameras. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you Should look I wonderful. do like some sort of really interesting backdrop uh, for myself? Sure. Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, 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 I'll work out one while I'm it's talking nice, to you. How about that? <laughs> it is a great backdrop that you have already. Um, That's so, my, this is my workspace. So, you know, see those things? An English there? dictionary. Oh, yes. And, and books. That and stuff is what I've worked on. They're DVDs, they're Blu-rays that I've worked on. So oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Commentary. Show. Yeah, yeah. Commentaries and uh, essays, a whole lot of stuff like that. Well, let's um, properly introduce Emma, I reckon, yeah. rather than try and work her out via her bookcase. Yes. I think that's fun working me out yeah. by bookcase. <laughs> I've, I've been the trying challenge. to work you out for years, Emma. Um, <laughs> so we go back some, some way. We used to work together about two lifeti- lifetimes ago. Yeah, we don't see each other much these days other than like MIF and that sort of thing where we bump into each other on the night shifts usually. Some sort of weird film at eleven thirty at night that I fall through, I uh, fall asleep through, or something <laughs> like that. And I've got, to, I think I've got a backdrop. Tell me what you think. Oh, that's good. Oh wow, that's good. Oh, I like How about it. That? I like it. Talk us that's through a it. Still from a book, um, uh, still from a movie that I wrote a book about or co-wrote a book about. So there you go. There's Rock Hudson. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Well, I think. I think we need to talk about you just a little bit. Anyone can Google Emma Westwood and, and find out all of this information because you've actually been working for quite a bit in, I guess, the industry, I guess is what you would call it, although it's it's <laughs> it's surrounding cinema in, in a few different ways. Yes. Tell us a little bit interesting. about interesting you would um, sort of couch it in those terms because um, – I did an interview for a podcast that's called Supporting Characters and that's what he he doesn't talk to people who make films as such or in films but who are in supporting um, industry roles. So whether they're writers or commentators or programmers or historians or whatever they may be, founders of festivals or blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, yeah, we're not – we're kind of propping up the films rather than making the films and as such. When, uh, when, when Doc said to me uh, that he had the perfect guest to come on to talk about men – All I do is talk about men. <laughs> <laughs> this yes. film, Seconds, is all about men. Really? Brilliant. <laughs> it's all about men, yeah. When, when he said that and then I looked you up, I was like, Doc, you realize that you've brought in a professional and that, that <laughs> our ama- I don't believe the hype. <laughs> and, and, and our amateurishness is now going to be highlighted to the extreme. It's sort of like if we were all sort of in a, a boxing ring or something and then said, hey, let's just bring in Bruce Lee for a round. Uh, it's, it's kind of what it feels like. You know. <laughs> I've never been compared to Bruce Lee. That's awesome. <laughs> I will take that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Too good. Yeah. I reckon we, we move on to the film. Yeah, I think so, because we are here today with Emma to talk about men. 
and um, <laughs> talk. Uh, just funny, just to say <laughs> it is. Yeah, Emma's talking about men. Let's talk about men. Well, She's been talking about, about men for years. Okay. <laughs> it's a big topic. <laughs> It is. Yeah, where, where will we start? Where this we... is the first time I've talked about men with men. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Just yeah. so you know. Emma, Emma was saying this. She's had a few. Oh, she's paused. Wait, wait, wait. She's I back. lost she's back. you too. Am yeah. I back? Yeah. We're, was yeah. I drinking? We're she's back. back. Emma's had a few we're conversations, you know, in, in public <laughs> about this film, uh, but they've all been with women. So she's not broached the topic with well, men, and I don't know what she thinks of the film or anything. Men, I, I, I loved it, let's just say. One of my top films of the year. Honestly, when we because we knew we wanted to talk about this film, um, it was very apparent early on that we we needed a woman to talk with two about this film, you know, because two men speaking about men is just a little bit too manly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting the responses of men to this mm. film mm. i've found the responses to have been quite different to women but oh i don't think you can actually really categorize them along gender lines to be totally mm. honest it's a, a real mixed bag it kind of depends on the people but i spoke at one event that was right after the screening at um, cinema nova the idea was the audience was going to have more of a chat and contribute their ideas but they were all little bit stunned honestly so it was just, yeah. yeah straight after the film ends you can straight feel it the film. in the room yeah. everybody's sitting there going what just happened <laughs> i need some time well coco and i got up and talked about it and we thought oh maybe they hate it but by then i'd seen it that was the third time i'd seen it by oh, then. okay so, yeah. so you'd had time yeah, to and absorb it, it and it hadn't hadn't even been released by that time so um i saw it at preview screenings and whatever. I hope you're not tired thought, of talking about men. <laughs> How could you get tired of talking <laughs> about men, really? Um, but I think the audience, when we said, oh, did people not like it? Really, the, there was the whole crowd loved it. Mm. They just didn't know what to say. They were just kind of stunned. Mm. It is a... It's a challenging film. I think there's no other way to put it. It's it's a very challenging film and it does make you think you have to work for it. It's not the sort of thing that you can turn to your mate straight afterwards and go, oh, what did you think? Oh, yeah, it was all right. You know, like everyone's sitting there going, still computing what they just saw. Yeah. yeah I, I think. And that's good. I mean, I know that I thought about this film because we actually talked about it. We, we did an episode on Top Gun that we saw yeah. after Men. And, and so I was trying to think about Top Gun and all I could think about was men the whole time. It was That's because really? Top Gun is quite homoerotic, so <laughs> maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, Top Gun, so did you do, you did the new Top Gun? Though? Yeah, the new right. Top Gun. So I Top Gun Maverick, I have not seen it. I do want to see it. Does it, so it does kind of... Um, propagate let's just say the homoeroticism of the first no film, not it? really it, it nods it to doesn't it, it okay. nods to it but it tries to step away a little bit oh well look uh, there's there's okay. plenty of shirts right. off there's mm. plenty of you know tanned bods so you know there's a little yeah, bit of it yeah yeah okay but not the All same right. it's not it's not the same oh I what a shame <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we should um put some structure here yes yeah, right? start with a synopsis and just Introduce the concept of the film. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Um, I did not write down the. No, neither did I. I've just, I've just looked it up okay, as great, we've great. been talking. <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's start with the synopsis. Just refresh our, our collective memories about what the film's about. 
Yes, and actually, um, while whilst reading your your bio, Emma, I noticed that you have been you have written synopses for films for festivals, <laughs> yeah. so you will be in the best place to judge the crappy IMDb synopsis and whether yes. it is crappy or actually pretty good. So this is good. Yeah, okay, go for it. It's pretty short, if I remember rightly. I think I saw it. Where you Go usually, where you, we're ruthless on these synop- yeah, we synopses. Pretty, you normally, really? so we normally rip them apart. But, but have we ever written a synopsis? No. <laughs> so, so yeah. I write longer ones than these ones, so they're okay. more marketing synopses um, for the film festival. Well, you read the film festival guides, Kim. So I did that for like a number of. Oh, what? what sorry, you re- <laughs> read the film festival guides doc. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> yes, she's trying to work out her name. So just to explain, yes, I am Doc and yeah. my co-host here is Baron. The Baron. And the voice from the deep in the background is the maestro. The I maestro. Know. Okay. Yep. All yep. right. Code names. The one who wields the power. Okay. The one yep. who wields it, who, who's the puppet master. Yeah. Um, however, we forget our code names half the time and just call each other Kim or Alex or Sal. So, yeah, you know, it's all good. <laughs> and my voice isn't—it doesn't have its normal flavour. Like it is a bit croaky because I have been, have been a bit crook. But I, I think, think that's it, good. I think it sounds okay. Mm. It's good oh, for this synopsis. Very sexy. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's what you want for the radio. <laughs> yeah. You know, get the husky voice going. Um, yeah, the synopsis stuff, it's, it is an art. It's an art. Not mm. to give away, but to entice. Ooh, yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's let's jump in. Well, first of all, 46% of Google users like this film. Ooh. So that, that suggests rough, that rough Google. 46%. quite a few don't. Yeah. Um, 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. 69% Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. In the aftermath of a personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to find a place to heal. However, someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as simmering dread soon becomes a fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears. No mention of men in there. But anyway, I think it's interesting that they um, Garland chose to call her Harper because it's quite a genderless name, mm. right? Interesting. And even her friends, she so there's so she goes to this, um, as they say, this retreat, this, yeah. this beautiful manor or some sort of lodging in the in the country, the English countryside, and uh, her friend that she talks to as well on the phone is called Riley. So that's another mm, wow. genderless name. So, and she's not a very Jesse Buckley who plays that character is not a, a highly feminized person, you yeah. know, or they don't yeah. definitely don't make her up in that way. And I think that was definitely on purpose. The casting is beautiful. Yeah, it's great. It's just really on point. Um, but she. When do you see the next day? Like as soon as she sort of descends into this, you know, she's being obviously attacked in some way by these men, all played by Rory Kinnear. All very different, you know. It's 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 playing on a, a magical realism sense. Like she doesn't notice it's the same person, yeah. And it's not meant to be the same person. It's a it's meant to be a symbolic thing, and and it works very well because Rory Kinnear has that kind of face that can change you know and can be dressed up very differently he's got a very every man 
every man mm-hmm. <laughs> look about him and um but she um in the second so once she's sort of being attacked she starts she wears a dress but it's not another it's not a fancy little dress but it's more it's got a sense of a like a Victorian gown to mm. it, like a Victorian day gown. Yet it doesn't stand out like dog's balls. Like it's not like you look at it and go, why is she in Victorian gear all of a sudden? <laughs> it's just hints of it. It just works beautifully. You've seen this film and, more than we have. Yeah, the problem here, Emma, is that you, you've, upped, you've upped the quality of the, the criticism on this show too much too early and where you, you may you may make us sort of um, nervous about having anything to you've, say. You've Bruce lead us. But yeah. So sorry, continue, just, Bruce. I interrupted. A roundhouse <laughs> kicked you. No, no, look, no, no, guys. I, I do really want to see what because for me, um, as a woman watching this film, I don't know a lot of women who, I don't know, didn't like it. Well, not many that I've talked to. It's more that I've sort of seen online and mm. stuff like that. But um, I thought this film was um, really cleverly done simply it's sort of something that yeah you you watch it and it finishes and you think what does that all mean hmm. but then once and especially because I've seen it three times you see the way all the symbolism hmm. does actually inform itself and how it's all ties really nicely into each other and how Garland what I liked about it was that Garland didn't he didn't impose on her. He didn't like she was sort of like an observer through it, even though it was happening to her. It was very much about him talking about men or the the cycles of men that have been passed down from generation to generation. So he uses this really tight microcosm, which is really beautiful, like mm. this gorgeous. But little village just in this area. So half the time she's mainly in the house, but uses it to describe this macro concept, really high concept stuff, like all the symbolism of the green man, you know, the man with the mm. vines coming out, yeah. which is the signs of rebirth and even the, the scary um, Sheila Nagy. They're those um, stone statues with the, the big vulvas that will come and eat you men, you know, and, uh, Watch women out. with big vulvas. And, um, uh, but nope, the, we, we sense them coming. <laughs> you can hear them. They have very heavy um, footfalls, yeah. It's a really delicate balancing act. Even though it's called men and essentially every man in the film was not really very nice and that Rory Kinnear making him play, it was the idea that they were all cast in the same mould. But they were all playing on um, stereotypes, which is a really great thing in storytelling. I think stereotypes, no one likes stereotypes anymore. They think they're really bad, Mm. but they're very, really, they're really good signposts in storytelling uh, and shorthand to tell people about something. They can be used for good as well as evil, let's Mm. just say. And I thought it was very effective the way he drew on that in this film to kind of show us things that as men and women we can all recognize and and as i said it was i didn't feel it was saying all men it's just saying this can be 
all men if you let yourself be that. Mm. So it was more about stopping the cycles, you know, being aware, stopping the cycles. And there is a certain scene in the film that I I won't go into because it's kind of one of the main scenes, the big scenes, the big climax. We can scene. spoil. We yeah, can spoil. We, we are spoiler happy on this show. So go yeah. for oh, it. Oh, we are spoiler happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. We okay. know the scene so, and just go for it. Yeah. All yeah. right. Because we so, want to talk about that scene in, in detail, to be honest. So, oh, yeah, cool. jump in. All right. Well, I'll just dangle it and you guys can go go for broke on it. Um, <laughs> the, this this body horror scene at the, the end where um, basically each man gives birth to the next through his ass or through his mouth or through <laughs> his shoulder or whatever, and it's showing that this is a cycle that's perpetrated. Like you just think it's actually really quite clear symbolism that mm. is perpetrated by men, that it's passed down. It's a cellular thing. It's just passed down and easily that a man cannot recognise it but what Garland's done is stood back and gone, I see it, I'm going to call it, and um, mm-hmm. and we can make a change. And even at the end when her friend arrives, I found this end to be really quite positive. I didn't find it to be a negative ending at all, and it was kind of a sign of hope. It was sort of saying she's going to have a child, but this cycle could be changed, you know. Yeah, I didn't find it kind of as bleak as a lot of some some other films are, it seemed to have a, a much more hopeful resolution to me. I don't Absolutely. know about you guys. So tell me mm, what you think. Gee whiz. Uh, mm. I've got so much to say, but I think the, the what resonated with me was the question, what does it mean? Because I think the point of the film, if I, if I understand Garland at all, is that it means several things and he wants it to mean different things to different people. I think you loved it, Baron. What was what were your yeah, thoughts I, on on both enjoyment and meaning? I loved it. I loved it. Um <laughs> I, I, I found it really confronting and in a great way. But you know, I like to be confronted by a film. I think that's part of the fun. Um particularly once you get into body horror and that level of sort of extreme visuals that you get at the end of the film um however like i think if you didn't have that that sequence at the end of the film the film wouldn't land its message it needed to be there for people to understand that what we're talking about is cycles of behavior like if you didn't have that there i I don't know if you would if you if it would land so um and also the thing we talk about on this quite a lot is just payoff you know, um, mm. when you're watching a film and you've got this building dread and weird things are happening, at a certain point, you need a payoff, and and it needs mm. to be all of those ideas and all that dread that that's been building needs to come to a head, and and this did that for me in in such a great way. Um, however, I could feel like everyone around me squirming a little bit. You know, the whole the whole cinema seemed to be like uncomfortable with this moment for good reason. It's, it's, it's icky. It's icky. It's made to be, yeah. it's made to be icky, you know, yeah. and it's slimy and, you know, and, it, and birth isn't a nice thing anyway. And it doesn't, it doesn't kind of quite, oh, well, some people say birth's a beautiful thing. So shut up, Emma, what am I talking about? In, 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 high, conce- a, in high concept it is. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but what did you think of it? Like watching it as a as a, as a man, did it kind of make you go feel guilt or make you uncomfortable? Or 
I'm not saying you should feel anything about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I'm asking you. I'm just intrigued. Oh, well, you go first. Okay, but yeah. I, oh, I, could, I could go for an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the world we live in today. All of the themes represented in this film are something that I think as a, you know, privileged white male, you feel every day because they're, they're themes that come up over and over again. Um, but it was just presented in such a thoughtful way that uh, I just, yeah, I completely went for the ride. I knew exactly what, where he was going with it at a, at a certain point and, and then just enjoyed seeing how he presented the ideas, honestly. So mm. I don't think I was confronted by it too much from, off from that perspective, but it was, it was fun to see a, a male director do something like this. And I guess you could compare it to something like Promising Young Woman um, which is a very, which is a, you know, presents similar ideas from a very different perspective. And um, mm. those two films coming out in the same year is interesting, or at mm. least in the same 12 months, I would say. I loved Promising Young Woman as well. But for me, the end was too cute. It kind of, whereas this end felt much stronger to me. Um, and that's often a thing in, in horror. And how I kind of rate a lot of modern horror, actually, mm. more than classic horror. Classic horror seems to know how to resolve itself, whereas horror these days often tries to pitch really high concept, not realising that older horror is very high concept anyway, mm. but it just doesn't have to try as hard, seemingly. But um, <laughs> Nice setups, nice setups, and then sort of in the final third of the film, it all kind of mm. falls away into a bit of a mess. Whereas I wouldn't say that about Promising Young Woman. I just thought that the end was too cute. It didn't kind of, it didn't resonate with what was going on with the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, Garland's Men, it all felt really tight to me. I mean, it was bonkers, the end. But it was really tight. And also another thing that happened in the end that since we're doing spoilers and I can go for broke, that idea of her confronting her husband who um, when they talk about, you know, in the synopsis, Harper recovering from an event or tragic event, that's the husband committing suicide when she tells him that she's going to leave him. Um, she does confront, he's the final man that's birthed from this mm. cycle. Mm. And when she's asked, uh, when she asks him what he wanted from her and he just says, I just wanted your love, which is the irony of that. I mean, that's the story of domestic abuse the mm. world over, isn't it? And domestic violence and, and what seems to be the motivation. Like my husband's got a really great way of describing this. He says that as men, if we can't, can I swear on this show? Yeah. Am I allowed to swear on this yes, show? Yes, you can. Um, as men, if we can't fuck it, we take it to the the tip and throw stones at it. If you see, that's yeah. sort of like the domestic violence mm. cycle. Like, oh, you won't let me fuck you. Well, I'm going to kill you mm. instead or I'm going to destroy you because you don't love me. I just want you to love me. Why don't you love me? I'm throwing stones at you. Why don't you love me sort of thing? It's crazy. Yeah. It's like a stupid mentality. But that was way that all came around in in men with that one line at the end mm. and that you see her walk out of the house and when we don't see her kill him we don't know if she's killed him or not and i thought that was really clever as well we yep. didn't need to know that it would have been too crass it would have mm. been too heavy it would have been too much it cheapened it right yeah I totally yeah agree. exactly exactly i'm i'm, I'm curious but about your perspective doc yeah i'm curious about my own perspective i'm, I'm tr <laughs> still trying to work it out but 
I've, se- I've seen this film twice now. I, I, I went, oh, and, damn you. That's I went and had idea. another viewing um, <laughs> only because the first one, I hated it. I, I hated the film. You hated it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you said you had a change of heart. I wasn't sure how your heart changed. but Well, I think yeah. I'm not sure this means what type of man this makes me, <laughs> but I think I was <laughs> quite confronted by it to begin with and I felt under attack. You know, and as if he's saying, you know, by uh, Kinnear being all the characters that all, you know, all men are the same, essentially. And scenes like, you know, when the naked man uh, appears at the window, how that's treated like a horror for the woman. And yet Mm -hmm. I felt that's a vulnerable moment for the man, you know, Mm. for example. So... I was wanting to read it one way, but I felt it was the, the 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 horror from the women's perspective was being forced down my throat. And I'm a I'm a good guy. I'm not a you know I'm a, femi- oh, I'm come a on. feminist. Yeah, were you expecting us to believe that? No, no, <laughs> no, no. But I, I, no, I get I get that. No, I'm I'm sure that there's yeah. a lot of men who would feel like that. And it's not saying that you're you're bad to have that reaction. I was just wondering. I, I was thinking there's got to be. There's mm. got to be guys that are feeling this way when they're watching it. And that that naked man, that was the, essentially the green man character, mm. he um, he really, when you think about it, when you look over it, he's kind of trying to reach out to her, but he's not violent. He's mm. more curious. Yeah. He's not violent at all. You're and right. He, he's, one of the, he's one of the men that isn't violent. He just looks scary. He just looks mm-hmm. very intimidating and, you know, and like he's, you know, out to no, for no good. But and he's, he's actually essentially, just... essentially the first man, yeah. you know, in the mm. cycle. Right. So it's kind of like where it starts as curiosity, you know, mm. oh, the, the other, the different, the woman, she's different. Mm. Yeah. That, that person's different, you know, and wanting to make the connection, the whole, you know, there's quite heavy symbolism in terms of the Garden of Eden and that yeah. eating of the forbidden right from the apple all, all the way through. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, and that colours my my interpretation because yeah, she eats the apple straight away. So as with most of life, women are way ahead of us. And then the the, <laughs> the, the naked man looking in, wondering, not sure what to do. Um, he's I, so he's so animalistic. He's, he's sort of just screaming. He has he has no yeah, language. Uh, just it, and it's yeah. like the tra- the tragic monster is mm. what I think it is. And the 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 man. He's like Frankenstein's. It's monster. exactly mm. yeah. That was going to be one yeah. of my references. He's like Frankenstein's oh. monster. That is just a tragic figure. Is presented as as the scary beast, and yet doesn't know what he's bloody doing. And and it was the second viewing. When I got over, you know, my kind of <laughs> right wing blind rage <laughs> um, about, about us being attacked as a, as a male species, and and started seeing that Garland was was being very, much more com- complex than than I thought, and and when you get to the that final crazy scene, I felt then, you know, reading it as a a sort of more from the male gaze than the women's, um, then seeing that, you know, men are trapped in this cycle of kind of having to try to reinvent themselves and try and work out who we all are and uh, and not not be scary <laughs> to, to women. Um, 
Because by that point, how she, to she, not be scary to women? Yeah, she she, she couldn't <laughs> give it. There's a point at which she does not care. I'm terrified at the moment. I don't know about you guys, but, <laughs> I know, right. but she couldn't give her stuff by the end. It, it stops at some point, and I think I can I note where it. Uh, I think one of one of the blokes says, um, "I'm going to I'm counting down," or something like that. I'm going to count down. Oh, that was the the child, you know, the the boy. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then she ca- she starts counting down. Counting. And I, I think I, the moment that the moment when she really becomes quite, um, she kind of almost goes into a dreamlike yeah. state, sort of a you know, like she's drugged. Was he blows the um, the the seeds into her yeah, face, yeah. So mm. like the pollen or whatever? You know, those they have a name. Those little. You know those little round, yeah. kind of fluffy seed oh, things that aren't they dandelions? The are they? They do have a they, name they, where they you blow them as kids. And they all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, um, and from that moment, it was like she was kind of just mm. um, in this sort of somnambulistic state, you know, <laughs> mm. and uh, and nothing was kind of scaring her anymore. It's like he kind of um, tranquilized her. In some ways, but yeah, every all of the men in some ways felt emasculated mm-hmm. by her. But I like the way that I actually had a friend who, as a woman, felt she did say, "I don't feel like it's a feminist statement." It was kind of like us poor men, us poor men, mm. and um, mm. and I I said, "Well, I don't know about that." I didn't take that away from it. I kind of felt that more it was um, she's just being and it was what's being mm. pushed onto her as as a woman and that these men were feeling emasculated for whatever reason. Like mm. there was a great line that the landlord said, like the innkeeper. Yeah. I wrote whatever it down. Said. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. What was Can well, you, can you hope, quote it back? Well, I hope yeah. it's the same one. Uh, but yeah, yeah. He said... Something about his father. Yes, yeah. that's you, the line. You have precisely the qualities of a failed military man. Um, father told me that. Time I showed him what's what. That yeah. That got me because that shows the societal pressure that men are under yes, to act in a certain exactly. way. And in that beautiful, just that one line and how that, or, or, and then how it's contextualised mm. sort of after the fact because when he comes out with it, you're like, huh? Why did you say so, so mm. the way Garland wrote it into the script was to really punctuate it so that you take notice of that line mm. and you're like, why does he say that? And then he's you go, Oh, he couldn't live up to his father, he couldn't live up to the ideal of his father, he was essentially a failure as a son. And that he then plays out with the woman character. Like it, it was mm. and he wasn't essentially a bad character. There were just moments where he would do things that you kind of go, oh, you know, that's a bit patronising or whatever. But he probably we thought he was probably being gallant or something, you know, it's, or that's what he was meant to do. He was awkward and mm. had never been able to live up to his what his father, you know, had hoped him to be. So little tells like that, it's really, really lovely yeah. in, um, right across the film. It's great. I mean, Garland always thinks so deeply about whatever topic he's presenting and it's it's woven throughout the film on so many levels. If you go back through his catalogue, like it's, it's there in all of them and that's what makes him great, you know. That's why we, he keeps coming out with bangers one after the other, I guess. What did you think, I have to ask you, 
because there's a lot of interpretations of this. Um, what did you think of the tunnel scene and her sort of singing into the or doing tones and having them echo back to her in the tunnel? Did you kind of have a reading of that? I have my own reading of it. But. Yeah, I haven't thought deeply about that one actually. How, how about mm. you, Doc? No, not not deeply. I was trying to think deeply, Emma, because I, I thought this is symbolic of bloody something mm. and I was si- trying to search for it. The only thing I took out of it, um, and this was early in the first viewing, was a little bit of frustration that the man, having not done anything wrong yet, um, mm. was was depicted as, a, as an evil force and that she's running away before all he, all he was really doing was being in the tunnel. Um, which yes. I understand why that's a horror because who, she doesn't know who he is and he's coming towards and her. And she's a woman by herself. Mm. And yeah. that's the kind of thing about the threat that women live with yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. There's little things in there. Um, in And there's another film I was going to mention Ooh. in line, you know, uh, with reminds this me film, of. which is. Yes, this is, this is the show. Oh, the, this is your first yeah. reminds me of, as great, we would say. Reminds me of, okay. <laughs> I actually did this when I was. we, we talked about yeah. on Triple R, we talked about men and we talked about the film Fresh that's on yeah. Disney+. Plus. I, I don't it. know whether you've seen that, which is Mimi Cave. So it's a hmm. female director and she's writing about, it's another, it's not very, it's not really an uncommon topic at the moment to talk about gender politics in, mm. especially feminist politics in in horror movies, let's just say. I just remembered what Fresh is. I, I, I'm actually, this is embarrassing, I'm halfway through it and I never finished it. Shut up. Because it got, right. it got, I, I got interrupted and I just haven't made my way back and I still need to know what happens to the rest of it. I'm halfway through as well, Emma. <laughs> oh, no. What? We we started what Wendy and Tell I. Tell me you saw the second half, so we can. Pe- no, no. <laughs> Wendy and I started watching it, and we didn't get interrupted. We just got halfway through, and we realised what was happening. <laughs> and Wendy, my wife, could not handle it anymore. The concept, <laughs> so she she refused to watch it, and I didn't argue because I was getting queasy as well. So oh, I was just warming really up. Interesting, because <laughs> this film is where. Um, uh, Everyone talks about it as being gruesome, but when you actually look at it, it's not at all. It doesn't um, show hardly anything. Mm, it's good. all suggestion. Yeah, awesome. All suggestion. But, you know, she walks down the street and she holds her keys between her fingers like that. I mm. do that all the time. Really? If I walk down the street at night, by myself, I will mm. always have my keys between me. So it's this idea of that. I think that her reaction, like the fear in that tunnel in men yeah. is um, just a natural reaction of I'm a woman by myself. Who's that? That person's not talking to me nicely or that uh, it's just a hostile situation. Mm. I'm vulnerable here. Yeah. Um, but the the tunnel's definitely this idea of, you know, moving through something, moving through, yeah. moving out to something new. And I think that that moment was when you start getting her sense of recovery, of ah. finding a sense of self. And that whole thing of her calling into there, yeah. it's literally she's finding her voice, right? Yeah, yeah. So she's literally finding her voice and then as soon as that co- moment comes is when the threat starts to come in and she's she's oppressed again. Love right? it. That's a great read so, on it. I agree. Yeah. And you know what? Um, one thing I did think about that tunnel is that Alex Garland has used something similar in 28 Days Later or you see Danny Boyle direct it, but there's a real sense of like the tunnel is your way out of one mm-hmm 
one threat into a new beginning potentially, which is what it's used for in in 28 Days Later as well. And it's it's almost the same moment where you have this dark figure appear, but in 28 Days Later it's they're being chased by zombies um, and they have yeah. to they have to do some crazy maneuver to get out. And like you're saying, instead of doing that, she turns around, so she's not ready to escape. So um, I like it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that's what I I decided to go with. Obviously, it's a really nice device as well mm. because you know he kind of creates a choir or she creates a choir of voices, which obviously you know delights her. Yeah, and it's a very nice thing to use in the trailers for the film. Yeah, and it, and it <laughs> becomes part of the score later in the yeah. film, which yeah, is beautiful. It does. It, it echoes yeah, back. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, and echoes back. Good, good um, use of words. It does have a a narrative sort of meaning to when it echoes back, doesn't it? Later, because it's it's kind of to take your metaphors, Emma. It's it's her finding her voice at that time when she needs it towards the end. Because mm, I yeah. think that's when it when this when it enters the score, doesn't it? In the yes, yeah, towards the end, in when the it business really end, really wraps up. Yeah, oh, that's I beautiful. I think it was something about this um, film too that is noteworthy for me that works with good horror what works for me with good horror is that you've got to have something I'd actually like to write something or or even do a more of a picture book around this idea of the beauty of horror Mm. because um, people when you talk about horror it's just this idea of gore or gruesomeness or ugliness but the best horror movies are often incredibly beautiful like there are scenes that are not beautiful in this but in in the way that all good storytelling works you've got to have the light with the shade right Mm. you've got to have that conflict that's where your drama comes from if you mire someone in something just utter bleakness then the audience won't stick with you like Mm. they'll it's just too yuck you know Mm. there's not there's nothing for them there's nothing to kind of hold their interests, I guess. And whether that comes from watching uh, beautifully shot old Italian movies with um, horror movies with gorgeous actors that you're quite happy to look at (laughs) or you're in this beautiful English countryside with this gorgeous manor in men with all this beautiful, and they make a real point of the house. Like mm, there's tours of the house. There's mm. two tours of the house. So they really do make a point of showing this gorgeous, and I gorgeous architectural interior design. I have a thing for interior design too. I love kind of New York apartments in films, mm. oh, yeah. especially in the 70s. Lots of horror movies in the 70s, 60s and 70s, obviously things like Rosemary's Baby and that. I was thinking that, that as soon as you said it. Yeah, 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 which I'd like. And uh, there's another great one, um, The Sentinel. I don't know whether you've seen The Sentinel from no. 1978. That's got another ripper, a ripper house apartment in it. I find that uh, European filmmakers have always been really good Italians, for example, doing horror movies with excellent set designs mm. and beautiful, like beautiful stuff. You look at a Dario Argento film, you look at the set designs of Suspiria, I mean, they're just breathtaking. Yet this is quite, you know, it's got quite horrific murder scenes. Yeah. But it works because you've got this juxtaposition of things. Like um, my backdrop here of Seconds, which, you know, is the film, uh, a book that I co-wrote. It's a film from 1966. 
it is a really, really bleak film. But as you can probably see from this still, it's an amazing looking film. It's all very, very wide angled lenses. Mm. They also use this thing called Snorri Cam. Snorri Cam, do you know that? Darren Aronofsky's used it a lot in his films. Martin Scorsese used it in Mean Streets where Hyvie Keitel was going through the bar and it was like he was drunk. So they tether the they actually attach the camera oh, on a harness yeah. Yeah, yeah. to the act to the front. So looking into the actor's face so it creates that woozy effect because mm. it actually moves with the actor uh, the actor themselves yeah it's a great rather effect then yeah adjust to the background so that's used a lot in um seconds to really great effect but this is one of the most beautiful looking films you'll ever see it's wow. just gorgeous i've seen it and it's got rock hudson i mean you know he's pretty gorgeous yeah <laughs> pretty gorgeous to look at everyone like looking at rock so no, even we <laughs> like looking at rock I took the set as a as a bit of a nod to gothic horror as well, you know, just Yeah. It's just what you do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? It does. And, and and especially being um, you know, an English a British film, mm. you know, you've got to remember their massive tradition of hammer horror films. I mean, you know, everyone not a lot of Australians, for example, will necessarily know Hammer Horror, but every Brit, even younger ones will know Hammer Horror. It's so ingrained in the fabric of mm. sort of British TV and um, and just film history. And not having her highly feminised is an interesting thing because Hammer Horror, they were always like so beautiful with the big tits out there, you know. It was all about looking at the boobs and everything. <laughs> and a lot of them were colour as well. Mm. So they played up the colour and there was a lot of rich colours in this film to the yeah. the red and the greens especially but yeah i could see i can see where you get that from with yeah. the with the that gothic feel mm. yeah definitely i mean in, in any of the short stories that you read or you know tales that come out of that tra that tradition it's there's there's it's always all about the house to start with you know you get the mm. tour you hear all about the history and there's the gardens and there's the parapets and whatever you know but that's it's all setting the scene for horrible things that are going to come beneath that that are all living there beneath the beauty of it all yeah yeah have you seen the um the film the innocence no called, uh it's a film from the early 60s with um deborah carr in it actually shot by a guy called freddie francis who did a lot of stuff for hammer actually it's about the kids are kind of the the suggestion is that they've been taken over by evil spirits of people who've died in the house and so it's all about this kind of tethering to the house and what the house represents this mm. big manner and it, it was based on the henry james book turn of the screw mm. oh yeah gonna say, it sounds um, like is, turn of the screw yeah, yeah yeah it's turn of the screw yeah so it was also um uh mike flanagan you know he makes a lot of horror yeah. films these days yeah yeah he did the the series uh, haunting of Bly, haunting of Bly, Bly Manor. Manor. Yeah, 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 that's it too. Yeah. So that was another one that was taken. So the whole, yeah. you know, how that was all kind of the house is the important thing. Yes, you know, yes, and we, you know, we did an episode on that actually, Emma. So did you? You'll have oh. to look that up mm. and laugh at, at how much we at how much we messed it up. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we um. 
also have talked a little bit about Jungian stuff as well and just how houses represent the subconscious and that's in that feels like this as well. This whole property or this whole village in a way is sort of her, when she enters it, it's her dealing with all of with all of her stuff that she has to deal with, mm-hmm. you know. I guess with this film, on what level you want to take it, there's so many in, interpretations as to what's actually happened, what's gone down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no real village in the world where all the men have the same face. So how much of this is is happening in her head? How much of it, you know? Someone else said that. That was um, actually Jake Wilson, who's um, a Melbourne critic. I think the way he presented it was, I don't think Alex Garland intended it to be this way, but another reading could be that you think that um, it's all in her head Mm. and that it's actually paranoia in her head. But I didn't feel that at all. I felt felt that the idea was the guys all looking the same was just a magic realism Mm. for film world. It wasn't actually that they would all be looking the same and looking the same to her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's more of a metaphor. Yeah, totally. And that's that's how I took it as well. But um, you do sort of come away from it going, you know, when you present an idea like this, to what degree is is Alex Garland saying, take from this what you will. You know, you might yeah, you might read yeah, it one yeah. way or another, and I'm okay with that. But here's here's what I'm presenting to you. Yeah, mm. well, I I think it's probably about time that I I did look up what Alex Garland has been saying about this. Yeah, I haven't done that. I either. tend to I tend to just go into these sort of things and just give my own completely uninformed whatever opinion wherever it comes from but I don't like to um, read too much about what other people say or um, because I don't want it to color my own opinion I I like to kind of come at it fresh even in terms of the filmmakers I wrote a book on the fly David Cronenberg's The Fly and that one I nearly was going to speak to Cronenberg and didn't come through Um, but his people and everyone were really helpful but I'm glad I didn't because I think it would have been, I would have then been somehow shackled to what he says the film is. Yeah. And there's this whole thing about, you know, in terms of auteur theory and I think that we're sort of moving away from that a little bit now, interpretations of films because film is a collective Mm -hmm. medium, even though you do have, I mean, there's clearly with Cronenberg, you see that auditorial vision, you see a similar type of film come through. But even if he um, is responsible for planting the seed for that, I don't think you can say he's really responsible for what it grows into. There's so much input. There's the kind of he used often the same crews again and again and again. So they're all coming together to make this sort of singular vision. And then everyone who watches it, takes it away and comes up with something else. Yeah. So, you know, I know with The Fly, Cronenberg wasn't happy because people associated it directly with the spread of the AIDS virus and they said it was commenting on that. Oh, wow. Um, wow, okay. Yeah, and and he said no because it was, you know, that was really top of mind for people. That was the paranoia yeah. of the almost the COVID of that time, same, same but different. Mm. You know, and people were really scared, so they put that on that film, whereas he said no, no, it's just about ageing yeah. and dying. You know, the fear of what happens to you, you as you age and die, you know, like a disease. So he saw it in a much 
bigger way than just what was the zeitgeist of the time. Yeah, that's basically. That, I mean, if you think about a film like, uh, you know, Don't Look Up, which is all about climate change, but then it happens to land in the middle of COVID and everyone takes it as a comment on pandemics as well as yeah, climate change. Yeah. You know? So people take films and they see things in certain ways. And I think as a filmmaker or as someone involved in filmmaking, you just, well, you hope that there's, well, you know, if you're well-intentioned, I guess, you hope people take what you wanted to say or some level of enlightenment from it. And it possibly is distressing if they take it in a completely different way (laughs) or if it, if it incites, I don't know. I don't know what it was like for Kubrick with, um, and it came from a book too, but like a clockwork orange, for example, you know, that, that was seen as inciting violence around Mm, the world and whatever, but I don't know whether you guys have ever heard of it, but it's that um, death of the author, the Roland Barthes essay was around that, this Mm. idea that once it's out there, the artwork takes on Mm. a form of its own. It becomes its own beast. The author's dead by then. Mm. They don't have a say anymore. Yeah, I think there's the author has died, resurrected, died, resurrected over the years, hasn't it? (laughs) So Barthes had his time in the sun, but it's gone through a few revolutions. (laughs) Yes. Baron, should we quickly go through some other reminds me? Let's do that. We've got fresh that Emma's said. Fresh, yes. um, Without dwelling too long on anything, because I'm conscious that it's almost bedtime and it's a school night. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I'm a nana. (laughs) If you're a nana, we're we're all sorry. My cat just decided to jump. (laughs) When I when I came out of this film, there were two things that I. I felt really strongly just based on the cast, but also there were some themes that I thought were just, I guess part of the reason why this casting is great is the back catalogue of the Mm. two leads. So the first thing I wanted to watch when I came out of the film was the first episode of Black Mirror. Okay. I can't remember which one that was. Was Rory Kinnear in that? Yes, he was. He's the prime minister. Oh, he is. Prime Minister in that because I was like, wow, yeah, that is so perfect. Yeah, it's beautiful. See, see, that's the thing about Rory Kinnear. I've seen him in so many things, and then I and I don't remember it's him because Mm. he does. He's a character actor. He's a shapeshifter. That's perfect for the role. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he actually comes from really good um, acting stock. You know, (laughs) you know his dad, Roy. Look up Roy Kinnear. Yeah, okay. Can you remember? Willy Wonka and the cho- Charlie yeah. and the Chocolate Factory yep. with um, Gene Wilder. Um, Veruca Salt's dad is Roy Kinnear's dad in real life. Veruca wow. Salt's dad. And he named his like, son you Roy. You know, he owned the factory. Roy. Yes, the like, one who was opening all the chocolates. He's like, oh, Veruca. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's amazing. That's Roy, Roy Kinnear, Rory Kinnear's wow. dad. Wow, wow. And he was like a very prolific English character actor. He's in a lot of films. Lots of films. Oh, that's yeah. that's beautiful. I, I had no idea. That's that's great. Well, actually, Roy Kinnear's been in about a bazillion British TV shows as well. Mm. Um, and like you say, so many different characters. Uh, I just really enjoyed seeing him in a film where he's a lead and mm. and given that status, I think, you know, or sort of been elevated to, you know, allowed to play a role like this. Um, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. The, the, the other show or the other film that I thought about afterwards, of course, was I'm Thinking of Ending Things, mm-hmm. um, just, oh, yeah. just because Jessie Buckley's in that and she's so good in it. And it's also 
this bizarre head trip of a film. I came out going, putting casting these two after those, you know, some of their other work just felt bang on. Like you were saying, the casting is, is perfect. Mm. Couldn't have been better. I think they both co-own the film, mm. you know. They, they just both work so beautifully together and both have such strength in, yep. in their roles. Jesse Buckley, though, is someone who's incredibly commanding. I remember seeing the first film I saw her in was a film called Beast. It's kind of a strange little kind of killer film. It's almost like a Badlands sort of sort of mm. like couple, you know, killer couple sort of thing. I think they're killers. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I can't remember. It's something like that. Mm. But she just stuck with me in it um, and like well, straight away just seeing her and, thinking, wow, she's going to be a star. She's just so good. Yeah. She's going to, she might not be a star in the way that a Julia Roberts is a star, but she's going to be a very well-respected actor because she's so strong and her, her presence, her film presence and her ability is just quite mind boggling. But yeah, I had a sort of um, reminds me of, I guess, because with all of, um, with this, with men and and all of these kind of feminist statement films or gender, the gender politics in films at the moment, fresh plays out like that. So you guys need to finish watching that. (laughs) But then there's another one that I'll mention, but I don't know how it's going to, how or when or what or if it's going to get a release properly here in Australia, but it's called Take Back the Night. And it's by this, another one directed by a woman. There's a lot of, female-directed horror movies coming out. So it's nice that juxtaposition with one with a a man, you know, kind of pushing into that territory Mm. as well, bravely pushing into that territory because, you know, if you're a white guy, you're not really given a voice in that regard anymore. (laughs) But this Gia Elliott, she's, um, it's a film about a a woman. It's a monster movie. It's a very low-budget American film. Um, she wrote it with the lead actor who Emma Fitzpatrick, I think her name is. She's amazing, another really electric screen presence. And she gets attacked by a monster. Sorry if you hear my cat meowing. <laughs> wanted to join in. Another monster. Uh, it's, she's attacked by a monster that's essentially just like a black sooty fog. Mm. And then this monster continues to follow her around. And it's kind of like a bit of a slut shaming monster if you know what I mean playing on that idea of yeah women stay in your place only reason I mention it is it's kind of nice to keep it just there in the back of your minds in case it does come out because I know that it's going to get a DVD release in the UK and I only know that because I've worked on it (laughs) but I can't (laughs) but um uh, it's it's a really special little film. It's oh, wow. really strong. Cool. Okay, we'll and look another out for it. one that plays. It's just the, a lot of thematics around this happening at the moment. But and and this one is pretty heavy in the symbolism too, like in the way that um, you know, in Man Garland has her eat the forbidden fruit mm. in Take Back the Night. At one point, she actually literally punches through a glass ceiling. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> on the nose. Wow. Uh, good monster. It's a really good monster too. Oh, cool. It's really well done on a low budget. It's a great film for wannabe filmmakers to watch. Yeah. And see what you can do 
cheaply. And this woman, um, Gia, who made it, like they wrote side by side, they co-wrote it side by side and then Gia directed it and Emma starred in it. Um, Gia was a paralegal and she was paralegal on a lot of rape cases. So through this, it encouraged her to come up with this idea and do it through this a monster, which yeah. is always a good idea because yeah. monsters are great and they're great in storytelling. Yes, they are. You could write a book on them, I reckon. You could. You could write a whole book <laughs> on them. Yeah. 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 Why doesn't someone do that? Someone needs to write a book idea. on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I've I've got a I've got a couple. Yeah, of, of reminds me. Give us some. I'm, I'm going to give you give give one quickly because I didn't enjoy the film very much. But <laughs> the Night House, <laughs> the Night House is currently on one of the streaming services, and oh, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, I stumbled across that, directed by David either Bruckner or Bruckner. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, starring Re- Rebecca Hall, who I remember from. Vicky Christina Barcelona, fondly. Which I love that film. That's one of that was one of my favorite recent Woody Allen films. Apparently, you're not meant to like Woody Allen films no. anymore. Well, so. as I gave well, away, let's not talk earlier, about them. <laughs> no, I do. Yeah. I do like Woody <laughs> Allen films. But but dot points on the Night House starts with a dead husband who died through suicide. The widow Rebecca Hall retreats to their country house in the woods. The house has a its fair share of windows, you know that you can see things happening outside. One of the things that happens is her husband appears naked, you know, outside the window. Terrifying. Yeah, she she goes outside of the house on a bit of an odyssey to, you know, to, to explore her surroundings and find some little clues and problems out there. And what else happens? She has a, a supportive best friend who's, you know, off off camera who is is her lifeline through the horrors that she goes through. It's a good trope, that one. Yeah, I think yep. that happens a bit. And and many iterations of the same horror guy, who in this case is her dead, dead husband, who kind of appears in, yeah, different, that's a good point. in different I never, styles. I didn't think of that one, but, you're, yeah, when you pick out all of those little bits and bobs, yeah. it was, uh, I did watch it last year, so I didn't kind of connect those threads, but there, you're right. Men is much yeah. much better or at least much more interesting, but as when you when you talk about dot points, I just thought there's a few there. So that's my first one. You know, your 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 point on men being interesting, you know, things like everything, everywhere, all at once, I'll tell anybody to go see that. I'm like, mm. go see it. You might find it a little challenging at times in the middle there maybe, but go see it because it's really cool. Yeah. Whereas men, I'm like, can I tell people to go see men? <laughs> yes. I don't know if I can. I think it's great, but I just don't want them to come out going, what did Alex say to go see? Like, what is this? Yeah. Why did Why did he send me to this? It's, it's unrecommendable. Come and join the club, Alex. You've got to come and join the club where people look at you and go, oh, what's wrong with you? That's what I have. Yeah, okay, great, you know? great. No, I get a little <laughs> bit of that too. What was that, Maestro? When you want to suggest someone to watch this movie, I think you should say you, you're going to watch a Picasso exhibition. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. That's it. It's a masterpiece. It's a distortion with a meaning like Picasso. A distortion with a meaning like Picasso. There wow. you go. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but um, the maestro is from Italy. So everything you were saying earlier about Argento, for instance, you I, know, I he was eating it up, just loving every every bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> dying, dying to jump in. But he'll have his moment in a second, uh, won't that, that, he? That was my moment. That, 
<laughs> no, Emma, we have we have a, a segment in the show called A Moment with Maestro. So we were we were gonna throw to him. Uh, so, and we'll still try to. Yeah, but, we will. But we'll, maybe we'll if that's if that's all he's got, maybe we won't. But. Uh, maybe another thing. <laughs> Beautiful. But I actually met Dario. Oh, he's met Dario. Oh, here we go. There's there another episode. Have you? Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah no, I'm friends with the guy who played with Claudio Simonetti, who was in um, who was in Goblin. You know, who does oh, all the music, music for Dario Argento yeah. films. I have a question for you. Uh, as someone who's written a book on monsters and monster movies what did you think of this take on a monster if you think of all of the men collectively and then becoming that gross thing at the end a monster like what's your take on that i really liked it i thought it was really effective a monster doesn't have to be singular a monster can be multiple parts that are even not necessarily connected well they're connected spiritually possibly Mm or consciously as an entity, right? So that plays out in Take Back the Night too, in the monster in Take Back the Night. A monster often is transitional. It moves, can move from one thing to another, can use hosts, Mm. you know? We talked about the thing at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that monster always, the the monster, what is the monster of the thing, right? Mm. So that always intrigued me as a brief. I just thought, you know, we see the final film, but imagine for Bob Bottin, he was 21, 22 when he did that film, mm. made those monster effects. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's insane. Um, it's still, the, it's still the gold standard, you know. Now. It is, it yeah. is. But to get, get that brief and be told, well, it's whatever its host is, and the only time we see it is when it moves from one host to the other and then absorbs the other host. So make with that what you will. Mm. It's quite an astounding broad brief to kind of yeah. distill and create these amazing, <laughs> amazing multiple monsters essentially from it because it can be anything. So there was a, a sense of the big climax of um, men was similar to the thing in that way because of that passing on, going from one to the other, just kind of, leaving it, but it was more sort of cocoon-like in shape. It it, it kind of felt like the fly too, Mm. you know, in that idea of metamorphosis, Yeah, you know. And the fly was actually inspired by um, Kafka's metamorphosis. I think that really plays out very strongly in in men. I think um, Cronenberg would have liked what he saw there, Possibly it would have been too computer generated for him. Mm, yeah. But um, and I'm not a big fan of CGI, but I think that um, Garland, I think it worked well in that film. I had others who told me that they felt that when they first saw the boy and with the Roy Kinnear face, that it was too computer for mm-hmm. them, and it sort of took them out of it. But by then, I was hooked by the film so you know it was going to have to do a lot to take me out of it into and i didn't think the cg was that bad especially in in the the end sequence it was quite affecting i thought it was beautiful Mm. that end Mm. that end sequence i i just thought it was great and and it did remind me of the thing in that it was gross but it was also beautiful to look at it was so well done i just went for the ride entirely um on that, you know what I mean? Kim didn't feel like it that though, did he? 
No, when no. When did I'd... your opinion change with the movie? I, I want to know when Second opinion... viewing, Emma. I... But you went in for a second viewing. That's mm, saying something. Bold. No, or actually, okay, it started changing in the days after the first viewing. So I remember mm-hmm. saying to Alex, and we don't normally talk about it, but I said I hated that film. And then in the days following, I started to mull over it, and I thought I need to see this bloody thing again. And I am now a fan. I, I think Garland, I don't, just don't think he's making any particular point. I think, just think he's he's handing it over. Like when you say, uh, you know, Roland Barthes and the author is dead, I think Alex is is really living that and saying, look, yeah. this is not mine anymore. This is, this is uh, for, for you all to work out. Mm. Take it and do what you will with it yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch the thing every couple of years, and <laughs> um, and I always watch it and go, oh, it's such a great comment on about like how you don't know your who your your neighbors are, and you don't really know them, and there's always you that could fear. call it men. Yes, there's that fear of what. <laughs> there's what, no women in it, so you could call it. You men. could call it men exactly, and so <laughs> like it, you know, in this film, all these men are trying to possess women. Like that's there's this possession thing going on here they want to possess women and all of the characters it's the same in in a in a different way well that's 90 out of 100 years of cinema though. <laughs> I, I kind of play on a um my interest in cinema i think i kind of come from not so much the opposite point of view but i guess the same sort of thing but as a woman because i love a lot of films that only involve men. I know a lot of women who these days want to, and, you know, rightly so, I understand, want to see themselves in films. I'm not really that interested in that, to be totally honest. I think that there should be women in films and women's stories and everything. But it intrigues me to see films that are especially, I like films that are men under pressure in confined circumstances and what men do. Mm. Men in Seconds is a midlife, mid 20th century, midlife crisis male film, white male film. Uh, But I think that's my fascination with the other being a Mm. woman and this, the men are different to me. So Mm. that fascinates me. Luckily, because a lot of cinema has been about men over the last hundred years. So, you know, I'm I'm possibly pretty lucky for that. But uh, Us white blokes are pretty fascinating. And we did we did talk an awful lot about bro films in the last episode when yeah, we were we um, when we were talking about Top Gun yeah. Maverick. So yeah, <laughs> did you talk about what was the one um, with the? Uh, oh, it's one of the Judd Apatow ones. Mm. It's not mm. super bad. We did super bad. We didn't, no, we, we didn't mention super bad. Uh, that's kind of like an ultimate bro film. Yeah, it's like when they discover that really it's like. I love you, man. Yeah, you know what? We didn't get into the comedy. That's a great call, though. We yeah. we we talked about um, sort of sports films and what else was it? Yeah. Well, well, I mentioned cheerleader films, which are essentially the bro films of chick films. <laughs> ah, ah, right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Did you watch? Did you talk about Lord of the Rings? Oh, that's more homoerotic. Yeah. <laughs> is it? It it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a crush on Vigo. So for me, it probably is. You'll enjoy the new David Cronenberg. Vigo's in it again. So, oh, I you love know, him. Crimes of the future. Awesome. We'll be very pleased. Awesome. But yeah, for me, like I said, it's like a sense of the other. Like, you know, give me a sort of hunt for Red October. <laughs> Put men in submarines. Dust Boot, one of my favourite films <laughs> Dust ever. Dust Boot's amazing, yeah. Like, like yeah. I, or I'm just a terrible sadist and I want to just punish men. 
<laughs> and watch them in, t- in extreme pressure and just <laughs> killing each other and losing their shit. That's like wow. <laughs> awesome. Anyone, anyway, I'll just leave that death of the author. I'll just leave that out for everyone else to yeah. make what they will of it. <laughs> totally. Have we got other, any other references? I've got one quickie, and, and that is Antichrist. And I think I've mentioned Antichrist. Ooh. A hundred times. You have, yeah. Show. Every episode he mentions Every Antichrist. Episode. I don't know. Antichrist. Every <laughs> second episode I mention, um, I'm thinking of ending things. So I'm so happy you mentioned it so I didn't have to. But Antichrist, visually at the start, it, it starts with a tragedy in slow motion. And mm. that was very similar, I thought, reminiscent of the. And out the window. Yeah, out the window, falling. Yeah. Uh, the husband falling mm. in 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 slow mo, so like that just hit me in the face. There you go, as as a reference. But I guess more broadly, it just suggests that like when you go to a a country house to recover from such a tragedy, the grieving, yeah, yeah, things don't always work out all that well, basically. And that that was a through line with Antichrist <laughs> and men. I, I'm a big Charlotte Gainsbourg fan, so yeah. how can you not be anything? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a, um, a Gainsbourg family <laughs> worshipper, to be totally honest. So I follow a lot of the things that she does, and she is amazing, amazing. But Molencolia is my one of my favourite mm. of the Lars von Trier mm. uh, yeah. canon. It's beautiful. It is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's a it's kind of a hard watch, but it's beautiful. Mm. You probably Slow don't find motion it at the you, start again. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> It is a very digital-looking film, men, mm. and that's kind of the interesting thing about it too because it is ultimately a folk horror in terms of playing on all those uh, kind of pagan yeah. stuff and even the vocals things, you know, they kind of We didn't even get like into that. Ari Aster, which I, I had thought about, but we haven't, you know, yeah. there's, there's a whole other. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Yeah. Too much, guys. I'm surprised yeah. we didn't touch on folk horror. Even, yeah. even things like we've seen like The Lighthouse. Mm. Um, you know, with all the kind of almost on the nose references, yeah, uh, but are still that are still I love valuable. That film. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I love there's that a lot film. there in in Antichrist. And when you talk about, uh, well, two things. Firstly, in that film, the bloke is kind of annoying through most of it, but then becomes the victim <laughs> at the end. And I thought that was that was similar to my reading, like. You're, you're sort of hating hating the bloke all through and then all of a sudden at the end I'm thinking, oh, the poor prick, he's he's rebirthing himself all the time. He's stuck in this cycle. <laughs> so so that was a, a through line for me for Antichrist. But also you talk about the, the the falling in slow motion. For Alex Garland, that is a, a repetitive uh, theme. Mm. So in the beach, Garland kind of goes goes into some detail about the the feeling of, of jumping off the cliff. Are you talking about in the novel? Both in the novel and, and kind of in the film. I guess so, yeah. Okay. Sort of in the yeah. film in by extension. Mm. Uh, the, mm. the feeling of slow motion falling from the cliff into, into the water. Also in, in Dread, which he wrote, I think. and That seems like a, a, an odd one out in his catalogue. I don't. I yeah, don't, I haven't seen Dread. I, I have to seen say that's the one I haven't actually seen. I've seen a, like Annihilation. Annihilation yeah. didn't work for me, mm. really. Yeah, likewise. But, so I love Dex Machina. Yeah, Dex uh, Machina is amazing. But, but Dread, the, the characters are on a drug called Slow Mo. 
and there are two or three sequences. As opposed to ScoMo. <laughs> no, don't, don't. This is not a political uh, no, podcast. No. <laughs> We've all been on that drug. In we're, we're, we're all going to agree, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, all right. You can so, delete that out. <laughs> so all the characters are on this drug called ScoMo and um, they, they regularly get pushed off this tall building and having to deal with the fact that they're falling in slow motion. So this slow motion mm. falling for Alex Garland is just a, it's a thing. And cinematic. It's cinematic and it relates to Lars von Trier. They're obviously um, bros in that little little thing. Anyway, that's my Lars von Trier, Alex Garland. Wow. Great. Commentary. <laughs> Well done. I hope you all I like enjoyed those that. Through lines that you found in those. Yeah, mm. thanks, Emma. That means a lot. Yeah, one last like one. It. Because you mentioned New York apartments, mm. I wrote down Repulsion by Polanski. Oh, I love Repulsion. Oh, I love Repulsion. Yeah. Such a good film. Oh. Such a good film. But isn't that Parisian apartment? Oh, you're right. It is too. I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah you're right. It's Parisian. Yeah. It's not so New York. It might, yeah, it might but it doesn't well matter. It's yeah. still, you know, it's Absolutely. still great. It's it's not a beautiful apartment, that one. No, it's, it's not. It's sparse and bit kind grungy. of amazing how great settings, like, like a, just mm. a great interesting apartment and especially or space or living space makes such a big difference to a, to a film. Like it, it gives a lot of personality to it. Like the fly, the Cronenberg's The Fly, not the 1958 one, was kind of attributed with um, kick-starting that whole sort of late 80s vibe of warehouse apartments. Mm. You know, all of a sudden they all lived in the meatpacking district in like all these dodgy streets, but then they go up these kind of industrial elevators and then go into these really kind of groovy spaces, right? Mm. Like Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close's character lives in one like that. Yeah. I just actually watched Fatal Attraction again recently and it's such a good film. <laughs> I have another thing for um, female stalker films. I love them too. <laughs> like the psycho, the literally from Fatal Attraction, the ba- bunny boiler film. The films. bunny boiler film. It's yes. kind of like I find them completely ridiculous and I just love them. They're like the best entertainment there's a great one called obsession that Ooh. um stars uh idris elba and um hmm. i think it's called obsession and uh idris elba and beyonce what <laughs> <laughs> are you making thing, you're making movies up now emma uh, this film is probably just this film is just so so good i'm is it called obsession is is, is beyonce it, the bunny boiler in this situation let me look a bit no <laughs> beyonce is Idris Elba's wife. Oh, let me she gets find. Hard done let me by. find it. I think obsessed or obsession. I need to find this. Is beautiful. This up I need now. to. I need to see um, this film. <laughs> obsessed. 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 I love that they actually um, in IMDb they call it a comedy drama <laughs> romance. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, and Ali Lata, the the blonde girl tries to drag the hunk, uh, becomes obsessed with Idris Elba at yeah. work and mm. decides to try and take him away from his beautiful wife, Sharon, which is Beyonce. Beyonce. And it actually Sharon. ends with a really good cat fight between the two women where they're like pulling at each other's hair, throwing them down the stairs. You know, you're going to have wow. to throw off, off the stairs. 
And the child, it's really weird because there's a baby in it. So they've got a baby and the baby looks like Jay-Z. I swear the baby looks like Jay-Z. It's funny (laughs) because I watched Annihilation recently in prep for this and Jennifer Jason Leigh in in a film just, I, I couldn't get past her role in single white female as the mm. as the bunny boiler. Another great film. Well, I love them. But that's destroyed yeah. her career, I reckon, because that's all I can think of her as is is that she character. She was in, wasn't she in some Cronenbergs and that after that? She's been in heaps after that. No, so I know. You, but... you can't say that. That was like single white female was 1992, wasn't it? Or yeah, something it's stuck like in my that. mind. I had a crush on Bridget, Bridget Fonda. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, gee. What else we so, got? So, yes, please, please make sure you watch Obsessed. Obsessed. In fact, I'm it. being so kind, I'm going to put it in the chat for you. <laughs> there you go. There Beautiful. you go. <laughs> Have you got any any others, Emma? I think we could probably go I think all that's, night with you. I think that's it for me. Maestro, did we have your moment before? You classing that as your moment or do you want another moment? First of all, you finish and see this movie and you think how horrific is for women to put up with men. Anytime you have an interaction with men is horrific. <laughs> that was my first impression. But I have a question around the, the domestic violence because I was impressed by the scene when the husband uh, slap, punch. Yeah. 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 That scene really stuck me. Struck me too in that it was a horrific act. There was a sense though that it was the first time he'd done it. Now that doesn't mean anything at all. It's okay. That doesn't mean it's okay, so don't get me wrong. But it seemed clear that it was out of character. There there was there was part of me that felt sorry for him for having done such an awful act when I didn't think that was in his nature. And then that causing all these sequences of events. And me thinking, wrong thing, but poor guy, in a way. And then this creep vicar. The priest, who was probably the nastiest of the the characters. By by a long stretch. Then goes and throws that back in her face in just the worst way. Mm. And I found that confronting to myself because I'm thinking, well, I was sort of thinking that a little bit too. And yet now I'm hearing it from him and I hate myself for thinking this. I think that was really clever. I think that that scene was made so it wasn't so obviously clear cut as Mm. you said it was an out of character thing so it makes you think around that and it makes you think about how that was wrong what the 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 priest said but you could see how some people would possibly say that right Mm. but Mm. then again if if you even consider it as an out of character act you know he, he slapped her in the nose or punched her in the nose or whatever but it could have been out of character, but in the frustration, the frenzy, he could have stabbed her and killed her. Would yeah. that have been okay? Do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? He could have killed her with that punch. For me, in thinking that through, it's just it's just wrong. It just goes to show how through frustration and being physically, he decided to rely on his physical superiority mm. to, to oppress her, which is incredibly wrong you know so, i think that's why yeah. it was so effective because you yeah, get, yeah you get someone like me who <laughs> anyone who has to keep justifying that they're a good guy is probably a bad guy and i think you're a good guy good. Too. i am a good yeah. guy and yet there was a lingering thing of feeling sorry for him but then when yeah. that vicar character spoke like that it made Ooh. me look at my own reaction 
I mean, this is the nuance in it, right? Which is often what's missing from the conversation is that it is both. You know, he's done something wrong and he's also clearly got an issue. He needs therapy or something. He's basically saying, if you leave me, I'm going to commit suicide. And then he goes and does it. Like he's got a major, major problem. What an awful thing to do. Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's both. Should feel sorry for the guy. He's obviously got problems and he's done the wrong thing to her. Not only that, but in presenting a very real character with Jesse Buckley's Harper character, I think that she was an incredibly centered character Mm. for Mm. what, you know, she'd had to go through. Like her perspective her being able to even say to him, like some people would, you know, in splitting up with someone be so guilt feel so guilty because they just don't want to hurt someone, but mm. they don't want to be with them, that they wouldn't have <laughs> pardon the, the analogy here, but they wouldn't have the balls to say, You can't say that to me. You mm. shouldn't say that to me. She actually stood up for herself. She did. Yeah, which is great. Against him. Yeah. And and I think that despite the fact that she was in pain she was just in pain as a as a human being afterwards and obviously she did love him as well she just couldn't be with him you know yeah. she'd married the guy at one stage and it, it was a very realistic it was nice to also see an unbroken woman like i didn't feel she was broken mm. i felt she was going through something mm. yeah, but she yeah. wasn't broken totally the opening song it's a bit of an explanation of what you say. What's the opening song? I'm again? glad you mentioned love. the opening song. That's love, a great song. Love I love Elton that. John. And love. She's so beautiful. But it wasn't it, I think the last when they played it towards the end, yeah. it was sung by Elton John from memory. I think the first version was sung by a woman. A woman, which is the one that brought the song. Yes, it was. You're yeah. right. It was a different scene. Was it Elton John at the end? Or was it um I thought it was no. someone like um Yeah. Jose Gonz- yeah. Oh maybe. I know the Elton John version, but I picked up like you Kim, that it was a woman at the start and then a man sang it at the end. Yeah, they topped and tailed the film. That plays into my reading, really, that the the woman's perspective at the start and by the end it's a horror film for men. You know, Mm. that's that's Mm. essentially how I read the whole thing, not Mm. to deny the constant ambiguity throughout, Mm. but but towards the end I I saw it from the male perspective and and at the start from the the women's. I think that um, uh, that, uh, idea of domestic abuse which plays out in men quite Mm. strongly without being super avert let's just say it just kind of ripples throughout the whole the whole film for everyone should see the 1934 I think it is I'll have to 33 or 34 it's basically a pre-code film um, by Ruben Mamoulian called Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde with Frederick March playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is one of the most confronting depictions of domestic violence you'll see in early cinema. It's totally horrific and also plays on this whole very British idea, which, you know, I think men picks out a little bit as well of Mm. um, power and privilege, Mm. right? So, you know, this idea that the G, well, Dr. Jekyll, Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll, they call him, Mm. and Mr. Hyde, um, he can just take what he wants because he's a man of position and mm. power and he's educated and and basically the Mr. Hyde, his alter ego of Mr. Hyde goes and terrorises this poor woman to basically the point of death. So 
But that is another film that's, uh, in terms of watching a, a very bleak horror film, is incredibly beautiful. Like, it's it's like uh, all that early German expressionism, those beautiful big long shadows and mm. the echoey footsteps and, you know, gothic look. Oh, just gorgeous, gorgeous looking film. What an awesome so reference. So that's one. Yeah. That fits kind of nicely. I actually talked about that in the the Cinema Nova event on, on men. So it it obviously reminds me. It keeps on coming <laughs> up in my head. There was only one bit of this film that I thought that was a little clunky. Only one oh, tiny great, bit. Great, great. And that was where the messages would come up on a phone. You know when they were trying mm. to put the location pins, uh, like and, and the, the and werewolf it came up with <laughs> "I know where you are, you stupid bitch" or something, and it yeah. felt. It just felt too crass. It just mm, didn't, it yeah. felt a bit cheap. It felt a bit, it felt slasher, right? Yeah, Whereas okay. I don't think that this film had, was yeah. a slasher film. It didn't no. ring true. It didn't work for me that bit. Yeah, cool. good call. I think I think we're done. I, I think, think we should call I it. I think you should go to bed, Emma. Like, not, I'm not suggesting that you're done, <laughs> but I think we've taken enough of your yeah. time. Do you have anything else, Farron? <laughs> no, no, just thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much, Emma, for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. It's been a great chat. You really brought a whole new level to the conversation, <laughs> which I'm really happy about. Um, I don't believe it. No, you I really have. You really have. Like, yeah. it's something we needed, So, and particularly with this film. So I'm so happy we had you on. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh, I'm pleased to be on. It was fun. Nice to see you again, Kim, and nice to meet you, Alex, and nice to meet you, Maestro, over in the corner. <laughs> yes. Italian horror movies are the best. <laughs> <laughs>